Tonight I'll be preaching from the book of 1 John chapter 5. Just you will find your places there. 1 John chapter 5 as we continue verse by verse in this book that we have been looking at expositorily for several months, going on years now. Uh, but uh, we are close to the end, and uh, we thank God for what we, has, we have gleaned from it thus far. But tonight I'll be reading verse number 14 and 15, 1 John chapter number 5. The Bible says, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your precious word. We thank you for how you use it time and time again to provide comfort and encouragement and to challenge our hearts in our walk with you. We thank you for the great salvation that you've afforded to us. And we ask dear Lord that you would use your word once again tonight to accomplish your will and purpose in our hearts and lives and that in everything that's said and done, you will be honored and glorified. Take full control. Give me the words you love me to say. Cleanse me of sin and to me of self. Fill me with your precious Holy Spirit that I may preach what thus that the Lord and will be able to give you all the honor and glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. In this life, there are things that exist for which we cannot see with the naked eye. Just to give you a few examples, we do not have the physical ability to see the wind. However, we know it is there because we can see the evidence, excuse me, <coughs> we can see the evidence of it. We can see the trees swaying in the wind. We can see the dust being blown about by the wind. Something else that we cannot see is electricity. But we can see its effects. We can see appliances that operate as a result of electricity. We can see the lights that we so rely on as a result of electricity. As born-again believers, as Christians, you and I, we won't be known to exist or to make a real impact on this world without the evidence that we are here. And as such, we have been seeing in this book of 1 John, and especially in chapter number 5, as the Apostle John here speaks to what I've called proofs of our salvation. You see, my friend, evidence of our profession and of our confession is important. It's essential so that others who don't know Jesus Christ can be drawn to him as a result of what they see in our lives. But we also must recognize that proof is also essential 
for us to know beyond any shadow of a doubt that we are truly born again. And so we have been speaking to these proofs that we have observed here in the book of 1 John, chapter number 5. And just by, very, by way of very quick review, we have looked at, first of all, the evidence of conversion to the Savior. We've seen this in verses number 1 through 6, and we've spent such time on, much time on it, and we won't take time to go into detail, but suffice it to say that our salvation ought to be characterized by a changed life. Amen? Transformation. So we see here the first proof of conversion through the Savior. In verses 7 to 10, we saw the second proof of confirmation from the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, a gift from Almighty God himself, has come to live inside a believer once that person places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. This Holy Spirit confirms that we are children of God. It, it guides us into all truth. That's the second evidence, proof. Last time we saw in verses 11 to 13 the proof or evidence of confidence from the scriptures. Thank God that hey, this word of God, it is God-breathed. It's the word of God. It's alive. And we receive confidence from this very word that we are children of God. Look at what the apostle said in, in verse number 13. He says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that he may what? Know that he have eternal life. And so these evidences, these proofs ought to reassure us they are to rid us of doubt that we are children of God. And if we are in doubt, that individual, man, woman, boy, or girl, ought to make it right. Amen? God wants you to be assured. He wants you to be confident of the most important decision that you can ever make to be born again. But tonight in our text, I want us to see the fourth proof in this chapter, in the verses in which we read, which I've labeled as Connection as we serve. Connection as we serve. Look at how uh, the wording that the apostle uses in verse number 14. And he, he uses this word. He says, the confidence. Here again, God wants us to be assured. He wants us to be confident. He wants us to know that we know that we know that we are children of God. And so in verses 14 and 15, we see here that, that there's a special connection that exists between the child of God and God himself that ought to reassure us of our faith in Jesus Christ. I want you to notice three things in these verses very quickly that all have to do with confidence. Confidence. It says this is a confidence. But notice the first thing pertaining to confidence here, that this connection that we have with God as we serve him is a result of confidence, first of all, in the relationship. Confidence in the relationship. Notice what he says here. 
And this is the confidence that we have, what? In him. Now, understand that this is directly connected in context to verse number 13 and the verses prior. Because notice in verse number 13, he says, These things have I written unto you that believe on who? The name of the Son of God. And so when he gets to verse number 14, and he says the confidence that we have in him, he's speaking directly towards the confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this confidence that he's being spoken of here is confidence in a relationship. But where does this confidence come from? Is this just speaking to myself and with no basis, no foundation? I submit to you not. You see, my friend, this confidence that John speaks of here is based on experience. But not just experience, but it's based on good experience. You see, my friend, good experience builds Trust. And trust produces confidence. If you're in a relationship, whether it's a relationship with somebody of the opposite sex, whether it's a relationship with a friend, whether it's a parental child relationship, and that person keeps on promising you something over and over and over and over, and you keep getting your hopes up, but it never happens, will you have confidence? No, you will not. But if that person consistently, time and time again, keeps their word, keeps their promises, you will have confidence in that person. You see, my friend, confidence is something that is earned. Confidence is something that is gained. But note as well that confidence can also be lost very quickly. A few weeks ago, my wife traveled to St. Kitts on a particular boat, which I won't mention for the sake of just in case someone might think I'm giving them bad publicity. But she traveled to St. Kitts on a particular boat, and the water was rough. And from her account, it was the worst she had ever experienced traveling between Sinkis and Nevis, and that's saying a lot. Because we find ourselves traveling between these islands quite frequently. But she said that this water was so rough that she had to stay in Sinkis, and yours truly had to unexpectedly find himself home alone. So it means then that this experience was pretty bad. And even though it wasn't the boat's fault completely, Now the result is that she never wants to travel on that boat again. Why? A bad experience. And that bad experience produced a loss of confidence. My friend, but notice John is saying in this verse that this is the what? The confidence that we have in Jesus. Where does this confidence come from? I'm glad you asked. My friend, the confidence comes from his performance. Amen? 
in Jesus Christ because we have placed our faith and trust in him for the forgiveness of our sins that this Jesus has saved us. And I want you to understand in context of what John is saying here, he's not even talking about the goodness of God towards us over our life. He's talking here about the fact that this Jesus would choose to love me and love you even when we didn't deserve it. The fact that he would leave the portals of glory and come to a rugged cross and shed and sacrifice his blood for you and for me when we were enemies of God. Guess what? It produces confidence because of his love. You know what? Jesus proved his love in such a sacrificial way. We can't help but say, God, if you would do that for me, I have to have confidence in you. That's what he did for me. That's what he did for you. I was speaking to a particular individual recently, and the person said to me, in speaking of another individual. And by the way, let me say, we were not gossiping. <laughs> we were not talking negatively about the individual. But the person related to me and said, this particular person, listen, I don't care what anybody says to me about them. I don't care. I don't care what. It doesn't matter what they do. I could never, ever turn my back on them. I could never ever say anything bad about them because there was a time in my life when I was in need and they came through for me in a time of need and as such, it doesn't matter what anybody says. I'm going to speak good of them. You know that ought to be all this, all, all, our attitude towards Jesus. It doesn't matter what anybody says. It doesn't matter what anybody does. It doesn't matter what happens from here on out. This Jesus loved me when I was down and out, when I didn't deserve it. Listen, when I couldn't do anything for myself, and if he doesn't do anything else for me, I would serve him all my days. I got confidence in him. That's the kind of confidence John was talking about. You know, sometimes we live this Christian life and we are tempted to think that God owes us something else. I prayed this prayer and God didn't answer my prayer. I done with this Christian life thing. That's not the kind of confidence John was talking about. He was saying, listen, this God loved me when I was so undeserving and I have confidence in him because of his performance. Listen, God is better to us than we ever deserve. We receive this undeserved gift called salvation. As a result, we should have confidence in the Savior because of his performance. But notice why we ought to have some confidence in this God also because of his position. You see, my friend, this salvation that we have received has led us into a personal relationship with God. We have a relationship with God the Son. We have a relationship with God the Spirit. But we also have a relationship with God the Father. Understand that Jesus bridged the gap between God the Father and us. And as a result, we can call this God our Father. His position 
And so John says, this is the confidence that we have in him. It's the confidence in a relationship. But notice, secondly, what happens by way of this confidence. This confidence in a relationship gives us confidence, jot this down, to request. Notice what the Bible says. And notice the sequence. Some people have these things out of sequence. You have to have confidence in the relationship before you can have confidence to request. And it's not because those of us who are born again are some kind of super Christians, but I somehow believe that it is that reason why sometimes people feel that they can't go to God and pray for themselves. They got to go and ask somebody else to pray. Because there are some things that are awry with the relationship. But this confidence in a relationship ought to lead to confidence to request. Look at what John says. After establishing the confidence that we have in him, he says that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Confidence to request. For those of us who have fathers, I believe you would agree with me, depending on, of course, the relationship, that there are some things that you ask your father for that you don't ask anybody else. Why? Because of his position. From time to time, I have to remind my children that the money tree in the backyard never germinated. It just never sprung up. Considering the constant request. But they're going to continue to ask because of who I am. I'm their father. By the way, it's better for them to ask me. So there are times when you feel like you don't even have it. Or you have to sacrifice to find it. But you find a way to give it to them because they're my children. But notice what Matthew 7 and verse 7 to 8 says. Jesus speaking on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and he shall Fine, knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth, and he that seeketh, findeth, and to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. And now my children are figuring out how much a raise of allowance they're going to ask for when they get home. But God, this God, this Heavenly Father, is asking that we, in confidence, request some things of Him. Isn't that a good feeling? Wow. What a privilege. To have confidence. Listen, come confidently. Come boldly before the throne of grace. Not bashfully. Not ashamed. To become boldly. To find mercy and help in time of need. Come to this Father and ask. Confidence to request. 
But notice finally, you got confidence in a relationship. But you have to have it. You have to have it based on some evidences. You got confidence to request. But do we take this next step? We have to have confidence that we're going to receive. Look, look at what this verse says. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. This great God is saying to us, listen, you got confidence in the relationship, confidence that you could request some things, but you have to have some confidence that you're going to receive some things. You say, why does God want us to kind of step out there like that? He wants us to have some faith in him. God wants us to trust him. Hebrews 11 and verse 6, and we've heard this verse so many times, we should know it from memory. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. You can't please God without faith. You can't please God without some confidence in him. Before he has done it. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that do what? Diligently seek him. God is saying, if you don't believe me, if you don't trust me, if you don't have faith in me, listen, I'm not going to come through the way you want. You have to have confidence that you're going to receive. And do you know that confidence that you're going to receive affects how you act? In closing, look at Matthew chapter 7. As a matter of fact, I want to show you two passages in closing. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 9 to 11. Jesus is comparing the heavenly father with our earthly fathers, juxtaposing them to make his case. He says in verse number nine, or what man is there of you whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks fish, will he give him a serpent? If he then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more? Shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? So you can have confidence that you're going to receive some good things from God. I mean, if that didn't convince you, look at Romans chapter 8. And this ties it all to the great salvation. My friend, salvation is so key. What Jesus did on the cross ought to give us confidence that God has our best interest at heart. God has your back. He's proven it. Look at Romans chapter 8. 
and verse 32. This is why all that we are saying tonight by way of this connection as we serve is linked to this gift of salvation. That's why without salvation, prayers actually become empty. Without salvation, we're really missing the greatest gift that God has for mankind. Look at verse number 32 of Romans chapter 8. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The simple logic here, if God would send his son to this earth to die on Calvary's cross, how shall he not give us what we need here on earth? It's like he's done the ultimate. Everything else is, as we would say, gravy. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Can you see the confidence oozing in these verses? For I am persuaded or I am confident that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We ought to have some confidence in this relationship. Some confidence to request. And some confidence to receive. And when we have that, we would demonstrate to a lost and dying world that we have a connection with this God. And you know what? It's going to show up in your life. It's going to show up in difficulty. It's going to show up in good times. It's going to show up in bad times. And when others see the hand of God in your life, they're going to be able to say, wow, that's some evidence. That's a child of God. Poof. Of salvation. Thank God that we can have it. Amen. It's available. Thank God for this great salvation. Thank God for the proofs that we can demonstrate because of what he has done in our lives.